and religion is not successful. And I love at the end of this of this of Luke chapter four, because you know you think Jesus is this little weakly, little skinny little thing that can't handle business. No, the Bible says they were they were thronging him to throw him over the cliff, and he says, and he turned around and walked through them. Think about that. That doesn't mean he just turned around. That means he says, you're not you're not throwing me off a cliff. And he walked back. And his ministry starts. So now, where does the ministry go? You know where it went? Went straight to the gutter. I know that sounds weird. A ministry went to the gutter like a fail. No, he went to where it was needed the most. He went to where the pain was. He went to the people that were rejected by their own religion. Remember, Jewish religion back then was very, very, you know, very legalistic. And because of Jewish law, if you were sick in certain kinds of sicknesses, you weren't even allowed to be inside the city. So you have the city wall. Imagine, you know, Jerusalem wasn't a huge city like it is today. You know, but imagine a Hebron-built-type town. You can say, you know, maybe, maybe a little probably bigger, but something like this location where our boundaries are very well. You know, we know where the town ends. Come on, amen. You know, every road out of Hebronville, you know where Hebronville's over. Well, imagine that there was a, a line that, you know, city limits. And if you were sick, ladies, listen to me. If you've had blood issues... If you had any kind of growth, men, anything, if you were, all these different things that were, you know, you did not get to be in the city. You had to live in camps outside. It included cancer, it included lepers, it included sinners. It, I mean, you were not allowed because, you know, you, you are dirty. Well, Jesus takes that message that he brought in Luke chapter 4. He brought that message, I am here to do certain things. And his job description is very simple. He comes to heal, deliver, and to proclaim. That's Luke 4. Just read it. That's his job. So what does Jesus do? That's his whole job description. I'm, I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to, to open the blind eyes, to set a liberty to the bruised, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now we'll preach that someday. But where does he go? He goes straight to the gutter. He goes to the place where people have been abandoned. And you know what I'm saying today? Today, Jesus is doing the same thing. So what I want to, I want to teach you guys today is really this approach, because I was, you know, I was trying to think, you know, one of the things that we all have, and I'm going to tell you all that's very cover on, maybe you don't have it. And I want to say people that have no context of religion, and they come into a church and meet Jesus, whatever church brand you want to put on it, but they have no context of religion, are way more free than people that their whole life were raised in a religion and somehow they meet Jesus, the real Jesus. Because now those people have to navigate through a lot of stuff. The person that doesn't have any religion is like, I'm a piece of trash. Jesus saved me. Jesus says, I got you. And he's fine with it. And it's never an issue. His past. But religion has a way of setting things in our mind. And we have to, you know, I grew up around, you know, my background, your background's different. You know, some of you grew up Catholic background. I grew up Baptist background. So what are you today, Pastor? I just call myself a Christian. That's it. That's the only thing I found in the Bible. I choose Christian, you know. But where I'm going with this is there was a lot of religion in my life. And I, I came out of, you know, growing up in this environment, which included going to a Christian school. You know, I'm all for Christian schools unless the Christian school is toxic. And mine was a little toxic because they were very biased about what they taught. So you go through, you know, you go to church on Sunday, then you go to church from Monday to Friday, and then if there's an activity, which there was on Saturday, so pretty much your whole life is a church, <laughs> in one way or the other. 
And you come out of that really trying to run from God. I'm just sharing my story. At the age of 13, 14, I was like, hey, 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 can I, as soon as I get a chance to get away from this stuff, I'm going to run hard and fast, which I did for about 14 years, like to kill myself. Long story there. My point is, I came out of my whole childhood experience with a bunch of religion. Well, I was water baptized. You know, the whole, I, I met every requirement to be part of the Baptist church. Nothing wrong with that church. I love my Baptist background. I thank God I have that background. But if every denomination will have this. Whatever your background is, you'll have this. If you have no background, glory to God. Because you are way ahead of most of us. Now, let's go to some of these. So I want to introduce this. So let's go to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And I want to talk, I'm going to talk about some of the different people that Jesus meets. So on this one, he's about to call what we what we know him as, as Matthew. You know, Matthew, the guy that wrote Matthew. Well, Matthew was a tax collector. Now, let me give you a little history of tax collectors because we're going to talk about two tax collectors. Back to first century Jewish culture, the tax collectors is, is you know, they're, they're hated just like our current tax collectors, all right? But it was different because they were Jewish. The Jews were very, even their currency had to be different. Like, even though they, they, they were under the Roman government control, they had a different coins. That's where the money changers come in. When you wonder what were the money changers at the temple, is the Jewish did not accept the Roman coins as currency because it had a picture of Caesar. And because it had a picture of Caesar, it would be considered idolatry, breaking the first commandment. So the Jewish nation had its own currency. Even though they were under Roman control, the Roman government, because they were troublemakers, you know, they would start riots and blood would flow the streets. So they're like, you know, just give them their currency, keep them at peace, because these guys are really, you know, intense. So they gave them the, so that's where your money changers come in. So all this history is happening around you, right? Well, the tax collectors were Jewish people that were required to collect taxes, but this is how it works. The Roman government would appoint them, would appoint one chief tax collector. We'll talk about him later. And then the chief tax collector had little tax collectors all throughout the city and the regions, and, and you would have to pay your taxes. And the way it worked is the Roman government said you have to put, you know, let's just use dollars so it makes sense. You have to, let's say, $100 a month, you have to produce that to the tax collector. If you don't produce that, I'll cut your head off, basically. And anything you make over that is yours. So it wasn't a set rate. So each tax collector said, if I have to make $100, i will just charge you $150. I'll give $100 to Caesar, I'll keep $50 for me. That's the way, so they were hated. And everybody knew it. So the tax collector, even though he was Jewish, they were looked at as, as traitors. They were looked at somebody that is not part of us. You're, you're just, you know, you're, you're there messing with us. You're, you're one of them, basically. They were not liked at all. And you think about, you know, Jesus picks people in his ministry that most ministers would not pick. Like if I had all the money to, to start like a huge ministry and I had a couple million dollars in the bank and I'm supposed to hire people, I don't think I would hire the people that Jesus hired. I mean, they're mad, they're angry, they want to cut people's ears off. And I mean, they're pretty violent. You've got tax collectors, you've got traitors. Why did he go that? Because he chose from the gutter. Sailors, Peter, are you kidding me? Everyone in his crew was, I mean, he had part of his disciples sound like a motorcycle gang. The sons of thunder. They weren't all like that. I wonder if they had like a vest, you know, I don't know, you know. But you would not pick them to run a church. But Jesus saw something that we don't see today is called grace. 
Because that's what Jesus needed. Jesus needed imperfect people so grace could make them work. I'm preaching to you Come on. This is why grace is most powerful in the gutter. He didn't go to the synagogue and say, give me your top 12 students so I can start the Jesus Christ you know, Evangelistic Association. He didn't go there. He went to the gutter. Tax collector? Are you kidding me? Some of the most hated people? You're going to bring them on your team? He says, that's what I want on my team. Sailors? Fishermen, they were like the lowest of the low because they interacted a lot with Gentiles. So, so the sailors were like, because they sold and bought fish, but they didn't like the sailors either. Peter and his crew, you know, so you got the gang, the guys are always fighting and beating everybody up. You got the tax collectors everybody hates. You got the <laughs> sailors that nobody likes, you know, the fishermen. So his whole system is made up of a bunch of misfits. And this is what I love about the gospel because grace is the most powerful there. So if you've ever considered yourself a misfit, glory to God. Grace is for you, right? So let's talk about Matthew. Jesus went out to walk near Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd gathered, so he taught them. As he walked along, he found Levi, which will be known as Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth collecting taxes. He approached him and said, come follow me. Immediately he got up from his booth and began to follow Jesus. Now pay attention to this scripture. This is so, so good. What am I Favorite scriptures regarding this theme. Later, Jesus and his disciples went to have a meal with Levi. Among the guests in Levi's home were many tax collectors. Of course there were many tax collectors, because that's the only people you get to hang out with. Because nobody else can stand you. And the only other people that can stand you are your party friends. Notable sinners. Anybody remember your notable sinners? Okay, raise your hand. How many of you were notable sinners? Thank you for your honesty. That means that people knew you were partying. Like the whole town knew you were out, 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 out tonight. Like, oh, dude, save on me because so-and-so's out tonight. That's a notable sinner. That's a famous sinner. So, you know, my life, B.C., meaning before Christ. I'm not that old, but I'm old. B.C. I was a notable sinner. If you ask anybody around the city who's coming to Boston, oh, yeah, we know who's coming to Boston. Because I rank with all the other, I'm not going to say names, but all the major names and all the major players. <laughs> okay. That was me. You, you, you went the Mines Road, and all that, that, I hung out with some of the classiest, worst people, and drug dealers, everything else you can imagine. What am I saying? Notable sinners. Meaning these people knew how to party. These people didn't have any remorse of anything. What's interesting to me about that statement, that's where Jesus is. Pay attention to this. Don't miss it. Because we've created a Jesus that has to be in church. We've created a Jesus that has to be perfect. We have Jesus that has to be holy and shining. Yes, he's holy. We'll never ever take away from his holiness. But his holiness was the most powerful in the darkest. Amen. Notable sinners. There were tax collectors, so that's a pretty bad crowd. Notable sinners. And this is really so good. Sharing a meal with Jesus. Oh, that's so good. For there were many kinds of people who followed him. That to me should set you free this morning. Because Jesus was never about a certain kind of people. Religion has made Jesus about a certain kind of people. What kind, Pastor? Whatever your sign says outside your church. So now we're not just Christian people, we're Catholic people. We're Baptist Christian people. We're Pentecostal Christian people. We're Church of Christ, Church of God. You know, whatever brand you want to put down there, Methodist, Episcopalians, and all the other ones. And, and we're branding, 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 branding. The problem with this thing, and I'll just, I'll just write a little note I had at the front end of this, 
is that one of the most toxic elements of religion is when men get involved in dictating it. Pay attention to the statement. When men get involved in dictating what we know as religion, it's going to mess it up. And, you know, it'll mess the church up. So we have to be very careful. And, and what has happened, we organize religion. You know, we go back to the year 300, you know, the 3rd century, when Christianity becomes the religion of Rome. And we went from the persecuted church, loving Jesus and dying, you know, in the Colosseum for Jesus, to, you know, fast forward a few more hundred years after the 3rd century. And now you've got a religion that is killing people, that is destroying people, that is taking over lands in the name of Jesus, that is, that is raping and pillaging as the crusaders would do. And now we have the Muslims hating the Christians, not because of what we did, but they did, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. So it went from this amazing, I lay my life down for you, we are here for each other. Remember the first century church. They didn't believe anybody was separate from them. Look at the book of Acts. They brought all their stuff and they know all stuff, but they sold it. And if there was need, they would help each other and they would embrace each other and they would go to the leper colonies. And I can teach you a whole message just on the first century church and what an important impact it had historically. Hospitals, hospices, orphanages, all those came from the church. Those things were non-existence till Jesus came. Say amen. So Jesus, you know, the, the, if you want to call the Jesus movement, created all these things, institutions, universities, on and on, hospitals. On. Why do you think all these hospitals have the Christian names on them? That's where it came from. I'm talking thousands of years, you know, 15. It, the, the Christian heart of mercy, the Christian heart of seeing somebody broken and trying to bring him up to a, a better place, that was the heart of the church. Well, once religion got involved, it became something completely different. Now it was... Oh, you're not a Christian? You will be. Why? Because you have to be. Well, I don't want to be a Christian. Okay, tie him up till he says he wants to be a Christian. Torture him. And on and on and on we go through history where the church did horrendous things in the name of Jesus. You go back, to, you can fast forward up to World War II. You guys obviously, hey, Pastor Box likes history. Yes, I do. <laughs> There's pictures. World War II. Horrific war where millions and millions and millions of people died. You got priests christening tanks. Are you listening? They are blessing machines that are designed to kill people. That's how toxic religion goes. How do we go from being benevolent and loving and compassionate to, oh, we're going to bless tanks that are going to destroy you? How do we do that? Where, where did we lose Jesus in this? I'll tell you where we lose it. We lost it when we lost it. The understanding of what grace is. That's where it all lies. So, I wanted to show you this because Jesus was among the guests of darkness. He was among the guests of people that nobody wants to hang out. And today, tragically, a lot of churches today are very picky about this. Thank God I'm not. And hopefully this church will never be that. You know, there's a lot of things I don't control of this church. That I hope I can control this one. This church, everybody's welcome. I don't care what, I mean, if you're in the gutter, come on in. If you smell bad, come on in. If you don't have, you know, anything going good, come. I mean, this is who the church was for. It wasn't, it wasn't designed for anybody else. And I'm going to show you that with scripture. So here's this, you know, I just want to take, take this from this scripture. Jesus hangs out with people that the church doesn't consider worthy. Think about that. Jesus loves to hang out with people that the church doesn't consider worthy. 
grace is a good, right? All right, give me the next one. Now I'm going to show you, we're just going to kind of build into this one. Romans 6, 13 and 14. I might have taken the other one out, so I was going to read to you the story of Zacchaeus, but I had so, much, so many notes. Let me see if it's enough. We might skip Zacchaeus, because I was going to talk to you. Well, we'll see. Let's, let's take this one first. Okay, so let's go to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and into Romans chapter 8. And you really kind of have to flow with all of them. That would take forever to get through it. But Romans 8 moves you into what spiritual freedom really looks like. But Paul has to take you through our interaction with sin. Because, you know, all of us are interacting with sin. And sin doesn't mean, oh, I went to a party and got drunk and, you know, went to bed with somebody I wasn't supposed to. That is sin. And sin is very, it's, 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 not, that's not the definition. Sin simply means missing the mark. That's all I mean, missing the mark. God has a, you know, imagine a target. You got bullseye, you got all the other rings, and you keep shooting at the target. And you keep, you know, you want to hit the bullseye, but you keep hitting everywhere else except the bullseye. That is the definition of sin. And, and the bullseye represents God's perfect will. So when God says, hey, I don't want you sleeping around, it's not because he doesn't want you to have a good time. It's because the consequences of that are going to create death in your life. That's what it is, right? He, he's not there, oh, I don't want you to have a good time. You know, he, he wants you to be delivered from alcoholism because it's destructive and it will eventually kill you. Amen? The wages of missing, I'm going to paraphrase, the wages of missing the mark is death. The Bible reads it this way, Romans 3, it says the wages of sin is death. But let's just put it this way, the wages of missing the mark is death. Now, death doesn't mean you cease to exist, go to hell, you're done with it. It just means you're not connected to life. Remember, death, spiritual death and natural death are two different things. The Bible talks about spiritual death 99. Every time Paul talks about death, he's not talking about ceasing to exist. He's talking about you not connected to God. Because when you're not connected to the Spirit, you're dead. Meaning, you're dead in your own mind. Everything is about how you resolve it, how you fix it, how you figure this thing out. There's no other information. When the Spirit of God comes, now you're connected to something else where you can get some downloads and have some information on how to navigate through some of this stuff. All right? Let's go to this. So now he's going to begin to break this idea of sin. And this is really where we are because if you want grace to really move, and this is the message this morning, we have to figure out how much toxic religion do we actually have. And that is on a completely individual level. I challenge myself and I challenge you to keep looking at this. Because I'll tell you, one of the things that will stop the move of grace in its track is when religion moves in. Because religion, my definition of religion, before I read this, is this is mine, it's not Webster's, is what man says about God. That to me is my definition of religion. I have an opinion of God, I'm going to create a religion. I don't want to know what man thinks about God. I want to know what God thinks about man. Because he's the one who set this up. Another interesting word, so if you guys are, are you know, Latinos, you'll get this. You've got enough Spanish background to understand this. The word religion is a really interesting word. And I understand how it was picked from the Latin, used primarily, you know, came from the Latin roots. And its roots did come from the Catholic, you know, church in Rome and so forth. But the word religion means, and, and you know, you can look at some of the key definitions, it means returning to bondage. That's what it means, return to bondage. If you look at it in Spanish, you can really break up the, the, the way the word is constructed because you have religión. Re means again, right? And ligión, you get the root word 
ligar, which is the root word. So if I, if I was in, in Mexico, central Mexico, I know, I know the Spanish appears a little mm -hmm. different, but if I was to say, I need a rubber band, I would say, necesito una liga. You get it? That's where religión. In other words, so what the, what, the, what the people that used the word were saying, you need to be tied up to God. That's what they were trying to express. You need to be tied to God. That's what the word, what they were trying to express. But at the end of this, it actually went the other way because religion really is return to bondage. It is so toxic. It takes away so many things that God's trying to do. You know, Mark 7, again, I'm shotgunning this. You can make notes if you want. Mark 7, 13 says, Jesus talking about this thing. And there's a lot before and a lot after 13. So I recommend you read it. But in 13, he says, your traditions, or you can say your religious traditions have made the word of God of no effect. Wow, I mean, Pastor Box, I used to say this to mess people. I said, what's more powerful than the word of God? People, nothing, Pastor Box. Well, yeah, you're true. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God, except there's something here that can stop the word of God completely in its tracks. And that's called religion. Your traditions, Jesus told him. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the, the, the bunch that tried to throw him off the cliff when he preached the, message, the first message. He says, your traditions, or you could say your religious traditions, have made the word of God of no effect. And then he goes on to say, and you guys do a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> so he adds that onto it, right? Let's go into this. So with that in mind, listen, and there's a lot in here, but I just want to pick a few things. So Paul is explaining this dynamic. He's trying to get you out of this mindset of I'm a sinner, I'm a piece of trash, I'm never going to get at this thing right. So Paul's really working on trying to get, guess who? The Romans. <laughs> that was like probably the most, you know, up there with the Greeks about being ungodly. This was a bunch. So they refused to answer his call. He's, remember, he's, he's talking about the call of missing the mark, the call of sin. The call of says, God says, there's something better for you. You're like, no, I'm going to still do it my way, or I'm going to make this choice. Okay, so now, now you get that. He says, so then refuse to answer his call, surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. Pay attention now. He says, you live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his normal purpose. Remember this. You guys ready for this? This is grace. All the way. Sin will not conquer you. So you're like, Pastor Anthony, I'm struggling with an addiction. I'm struggling, you know, I'm addicted to pornography, I'm addicted to this. I have to, okay, listen, the reason you're still there is because you're trying to get out of it on your own. And if we could figure that out, we wouldn't need church. Hello? If I could figure out how to get out of drugs by myself, I don't need Jesus. But I do. I couldn't. I tried. I did everything I could. And the only one that set me free was him. Glory to God. Come on, church. Get inside about this. So, watch how this flows. Let me, let me pick it up. Instead, passion answer God's call to keep yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for His pleasure, ready to be used for His own purpose. Remember this. Sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law been governed by the reign of the grace of God. Glory to Jesus. It's so good. So what is going on? But the fact of that scripture is awesome. It's powerful. And it's truth. But the application has to be consistently applied to your life. I'm talking like almost every day. Because your mind set. Let me put it this way. Your mind is set. So now you have a mindset. Your mind is set 
on this idea that, well, I'm just a little poor sinner saved by grace. How many have heard that before? Are you a Christian? No, I'm just a, that's a Baptist thing. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, 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 no. Let's fix this. Let's fix this because that mindset is what's keeping grace from fully moving in your life. I'm just, you know, Pastor Box, I was a sinner and, and grace showed up. So I'm just, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. Anybody ever heard that in any form? Okay. That is a complete lie because you cannot be both. Amen, Pastor. That's a good word. Yeah, I know. You guys awake? You cannot be both. You cannot be a sinner and you cannot be saved by grace at the same time. You're either one or the other. So let's go back to my little, I love to use this. Imagine this is build a cross. Big old cross right here. Imagine. Use your imagination. Here I am. This is the cross of Jesus on that side of salvation. I'm here. Sinner. Oh God, I'm a broken man. September of 1992, Calvin Box, completely broken man. Broken marriage, broken everything. No job, nothing left except death or prison. This is me. I'm telling you my story. God help. And I, this is my prayer. I'm a piece of trash. I basically said that to the Lord. Long testimony. God shows up, sets me free. I'm saved by grace. Get that? Now, if I keep associating with I'm a sinner saved by grace, then I'm standing on the grace side, but not as a redeemed person, as we saw in the other scripture. I'm standing saved, I'm going to heaven, heaven is my home, I got that, but everything else about my Christian experience is really controlled by the world. Y'all still here? Because I still carry a mindset, my mind is set, no, no, I'm not good enough for Jesus. I'm going to help you. No, you're not. <laughs> That's why we need grace. Because not one of us is good enough and never will be. So watch this thing because, and even if you're watching me, if you're watching me online or, or you're sharing this video down the line to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, your best choice is to accept Christ. Don't worry about your hangups. Don't worry about the drugs. Don't worry about the messed up mindset. And just bring him into your life for God's sake. Amen. <laughs> I mean, just have him there. Because he is the only thing that grace now over here will help you process all those hands, all those negative influences, all that stuff that the world has put on you. But as long as you're walking, well, I'm, I'm saved, but I'm just a sinner, grace has stopped. Well, guess what? One of the key elements of religion, one of the key elements of every religion, Christian, you name it, whatever brand you want to put, I, I would even say, I want to be careful, but I want to say every religion in the world, even the ones that don't serve, that don't worship Yahweh have the same attribute. Because men have a tendency to want to control people. So when men take religion, by default, the religion will have an idea of control. Yes or no? And I pray to God we never come to this church feeling that you're controlled. And if you do, please come and talk to me. I, I'm serious. Like, you need to say, Pastor, I need to talk to me. And we'll talk it through because one thing that if I've set this ministry on, from day one was, this will not be a controlling ministry. Because all the negative stuff that I learned, all the crazy stuff that I saw in church, all the games about the money thing, I saw it all. I've been in all, I mean, when you've been doing something about 30 years, you've seen quite a bit of stuff. I've been to nations, I've been to places, and one thing that is across the board, I don't care how Pentecostal you want to go, is that men 
have a tendency to want to control people. And where it gets really serious is when you get a man behind a pulpit that people like yourselves are willing to put your life away for a couple hours on Sunday and come to listen to me. Don't, don't, don't think I don't take that as a very, very meaningful thing. So we say, what if nobody comes to church? Or what if somebody, if one person, if one person comes to church and, you, and it's only one person, well, it'll be two because my wife has to come. She has no choice. But it'll be two people in church. And probably my grandson. So it'll be three. Okay, so we're building a church, right? All four sure legit because they don't have any choice, right? But if you were the only one, I would preach with the same passion. When I was doing jail ministry, I would do it with the same passion. Because the only reason I did what I do is I am saved by grace, people. I got that. I'm not good enough to talk to you. But grace has qualified me. So you come into, coming here to listen to what I got to say, I take that super seriously. I spend a lot of time on everything. Sometimes, you know, maybe you don't get it or maybe that was a dumb sermon. Well, I spent a lot of hours, even if it was dumb, okay? Because I take this very, very seriously. I don't like, oh, Sunday, let me Google, let me go to my archives. Okay, let me go to this. Let's bring this up. I want to make sure that I believe that God's the one that told me to tell you this, right? That's my conviction. Amen? So, as we're moving into this, that little verse 14 is such a key. I think somebody needs to hear this at this point. Maybe somewhere online, maybe in the house. Remember this. You're struggling with issues in your life. You're struggling with things that you know are not honoring God. You're struggling with addictions. You're struggling with different things. Bad attitudes. I don't know. We could put down a whole list. Depressions. And I'm not talking, you know, medical. I'm just talking you're just down on the dumps always. Dreading life. I mean, you could go down the whole gamut of things that life throws at you. Bad doctors report, bad bankers report, got fired from your job. I mean, we can go down this. There's a lot of negative stuff out there. Say amen. amen. But here's the thing remember this. The one thing that cannot conquer you is sin. <laughs> That's it. We just said it cannot conquer me. It might be in my life. It might be aggravating me. It might be picking at me. It might be doing something. It cannot conquer me. Not because I'm all in and not because I'm all holy. is because Jesus conquered death. Get it? This, I mean, if, if there's one word this morning, just remember this. You're not, if you are a child of God, you are not controlled by sin. You might believe you're controlled by sin. You're like, there's no way, Pastor. You know, I've had this on my life since I was a kid. You know, I, I, I just can't break this thing in my life. Trust me, you can. When you submit to grace. Because what we're doing, we're trying, oh, I need to get rid of this. I need to stop doing this. <laughs> you know, that's not how it works. Years and years ago, I saw this is a beautiful testimony of what Grace did. And, and I, I won't say 10, 10 names, but wonderful. There were two ladies that it happened almost at the same time. But one of the main ladies was, of course, one of the persons that we started church because of her. That was HH's mom. And we were in that little building. And the story goes, you know, when we decided to come to Heavenville because God told us, you know, there was really no other connection to Heavenville. Um, we saw this building, met her. Everything was like divine. We tried to rent it. She said, no, I'm not going to rent it to you. I'll, I'll let you use it. And then we're faith people. So as soon as she said, we let you use it, we laid hands on it. We claimed it. Fast forward. You know, here we are. But she, had, she, she would smoke cigarettes. And she was, and, and she was, you know, she was, her, her roots were Catholic. But she had a lot of, you know, what you would call the Catholic charismatic movement, which is a lot like we are, you know, evangelical type thing. 
So she would struggle with this 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 thing, and she, and she I mean, right off the get go, she said, "Cash box, that's my job. I smoke cigarettes, and, and I know, you know." And I'm like, she's like letting me know like that was gonna like deal breaker, right? And she said, "I've been trying so hard to get rid of this, but I'm just letting you know." I said, "Miss Gladys, here's here's how it's gonna work. You come to church. Don't give up. If you need to smoke, just step outside and take your smoke and come back in." I'm serious. That's a I said, but you're going to watch God's grace. Well, there was another lady, I won't say the name, similar situation also. She smoked cigarettes. Almost around the same time. But to make a long story short, I didn't, ju- I didn't criticize them. I just, I kept saying, you keep coming to church. You keep coming to church. Just stay here. And I would tell them, joke, they never did it. But I'd say, joke, if you have to have smoke from service, just don't, don't light up in church. Just go outside. You know, we're not going to provide ashtrays. Sorry. We're not, going to. we're not that liberal, right? <laughs> anyway, within 11 months, both ladies were completely free of nicotine addiction. You know who did the work? Not Pastor Box, Grace. They just let Grace do its perfect work. You see, because sin conscience is always going to reflect on how bad you are. And every time you miss it, bad, yeah, see, you're messed up. You think you're all dead? No, you're not dead. But if you recognize that you cannot take really anything out of your life, then you're the perfect candidate for grace. That's why he says, remember this. Sin will not conquer you. Why cannot sin conquer you? Because sin was conquered by him. Amen? He's not conquering sin. When you go to Jesus and say, Lord, I sinned, you think that's when he found out? Like, Really, dude? <laughs> he was there with you. Really? Yeah, because he said he would never leave you nor forsake you. That's his call. You mean he was over there at the club when I was sitting on that chick that wasn't my wife? Yeah, he was right there. <laughs> dude, I didn't know that way. Now you know. I should have bought him a drink, right? No, not that kind of Jesus. I mean, he, he, I mean, he loves you. Parents. Well, maybe some of you are that toxic. But most parents, just because your kid's not behaving the way he's supposed to behave, you don't just divorce your child. That's talking about and say, give me your last name. You, you can't have my last name anymore. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not, you're not a boxing anymore. Go, go, go. Find another last name. That's stupid, right? Well, guess what? You have a last name of God. You have the first name of God. You have the middle name of God. That's your family. And when you sin, he doesn't get out of here. He's trying to get you to understand. Remember this. You can't conquer sin. Stop trying to conquer it. Give it to the one that conquered it. And stay with the program. And you'll be completely free. I promise to God. Because not my Pastor Bob's promise. Because God promised that he would set you free. And is there any struggle in your life from depressive thoughts to addictions? I'm telling you, it's the same grace that got you out of hell. You don't think the same grace that got you out of hell can get you out of an addiction? Come on, church. Or a bad attitude, or, or a bad, you know, your, your marriage is falling apart. Give it to God. See if grace can heal it. You know, it's really sad when Christian marriages fail. When both people are Christians, that is, that is a tragic thing. You know, I've had those. I married people and six months later and have a divorce. I'm like, really? Y'all came here before God, you made a covenant, you made promises to God, you made promises to yourself, and now it's done? 
What that marriage didn't understand was grace. Because I've said this through the whole series. The grace that God gives you is the grace he expects you to give back. So if you're holding out on somebody because they hurt you, you're disqualifying yourself from that. Come on, church. If you're holding on to some, some you know, pain that somebody did to you, you're disqualifying yourself from that because you're saying, I'm God and I, I govern how grace is delivered in my life. Yeah, you get grace, Leon, but you don't get grace, Joe. Miss Wong, you get grace, but you don't get grace. You know, that's what we do, right? We pick and choose who irritated us today. They don't get any grace. But if you remember my birthday, okay, I'll give you some grace. <laughs> Come on, church, let's grow up a little bit, right? Let's grow up in, into what God is trying to make us. Christianity is, is more than anything, it's an individual experience. Before it's a church experience, before it's a congregation experience, it's an individual, you and him, one-on-one. -on -one. And what comes out of that is a desire to have fellowship, is a desire to come to church, is a desire to play in the band for Jesus, a desire to go on mission strip, comes from that. But if we're not careful, we create the institution greater than that. That's religion. Do you see what I'm saying this morning? Your relationship with Jesus, number one, you and him, you have to understand what grace is. You have to understand the flow of grace, and you have to understand how it interacts with your personal life. So, once again, remember this. Sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by the law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. I'll give you the next one. We'll just build off of this. So, what do we learn from this? Is that grace is a teacher. When you open yourself to live in the grace of God, the next thing is he teaches a lot. So listen to this in Titus 2, 11 and 12. It says, God, marvelous grace, has manifested in person, bringing salvation for everyone. For how many people? So how come not everyone's saved? Because not everyone is accessing it. That's it. Now pay attention. This is so good. One scripture I want you to... Really focus on them. Take my time on this. This same grace. Which same grace, Pastor? The one that has the power to save you. The one that has the power to deliver you from anything in your life. That same grace is available to everyone. This same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And it equips us to live self-controlled upright, godly lives in this present age. Okay, quick, quick question. That's supposedly what we're all trying to do, right? The problem is we're all trying to do it. We're back to last week's message. But yes, so we will serve you, Jesus. We love you. In our own strength, we will serve you. Boom. You just kill it. Because that's not what it says. And that's what, that's what religion teaches. Every religion says, oh, no, no, you're almost good. You're almost good. Oh, oh, you didn't come to church, Sister Ellen. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, you messed up. You know, that's what religion teaches. And then Christians are fabulous little creatures, right? Because once we think we're hyper spiritual, we begin to judge people that we think are not spiritual. And I know I use this overuse. You've heard it so many times, but I don't have other illustrations. But I've heard it so many. You know, let's do a prayer meeting. You know, we have prayer meeting, and someone says, you know, because Christians have their own version of gossip. Call it prayer request? Yes. <laughs> Amen. Let me get some more energy because you guys are draining my energy. <laughs> Aren't we know? So Christians, 
cry, no spirit. And then somebody brings a prayer request for sister so-and-so. And, and the person says, well, you know the reason? Sister so-and-so is in such a mess that she doesn't come to prayer meeting. I'm going to pray for her anyway. That is judgmental. That is toxic. And then the other one, that's the one I was joking about. Somebody says, somebody's going through something. And you're like, oh, Sister Monica, we need to pray for Sister So-and-so because, you know, yeah, her husband ran off with the secretary. And then you wonder why Grace is Because you're not really concerned about praying for her. You're just trying to get some juicy gossip out where it still be spiritualized. Yes. <laughs> Pastor, why are you doing this? I'm not doing anything. I'm saying that's Grace is the most powerful force in the universe, but it is very, very sensitive to how we manage it. Because grace for the unbeliever is a whole different version than grace for the believer. <laughs> and I dare say the grace for the unbeliever is really wide. Because for the believer, God doesn't expect us to live in, in miracles. He wants us to move into the blessing. So now grace becomes way more important in the managing of it. In other words, you don't have time to be gossiping people. You don't have time to be, you know, in turmoils and causing trauma and causing strife and causing all this stuff and then expect this thing to work. I went to church and nothing worked. Yeah, what did you do between 12 p.m. Sunday till 10 a.m. the next Sunday? <laughs> you know, what happened there? Don't blame it on the church because I'm sure there's a few things right there where we could figure out that you opened a bunch of doors. So, Take this idea, you know, because it's God's marvelous grace is manifested bringing salvation. So the word salvation is the word soteria, S-O-T-E-R-I-A from the Greek. And before it means salvation, it means healing, it means prosperity. You can look it up, soteria in Spanish. It means prosperity, it means peace. It is a, it is a perfect reflection of the word shalom from the Hebrew. Soteria is Greek, shalom is Hebrew. But it's a very, it's a reflection, which makes it means the peace or what we just sang about, the blessing. The blessing. So the blessing and the grace, you can't separate them. It's basically the same thing. So what you're telling that this same grace, this same blessing teaches us how to live. Say, Pastor, I want to learn. Well, it's not that hard. It just means you, man you understand the flow of grace and you manage it. You know, I'm really surprised. I, I, you know, even to say about people that I would think would know better, meaning know better, they've been around this a long time. And you hear how they talk sometimes, and you hear how they refer to other people. I'm talking even among our church, and you're like, wow, you know, I'm not judging that. I'm saying that person still has a shallow understanding of grace. That's all it is. Because when you, the more you understand it, the less you really want to. How do I put it? Demote or. I don't have the right word. I don't have the word. In other words, put people down. The more you, the, the more you understand grace, the less toxic your, your your mouth becomes. Does that make sense? Because you begin to see the importance of it, right? So when you want to say something about, you want to cheese me out, or you want to say something about somebody, like, eh, you know, if it's not going to, I'll give you a quick one. If it's not going to produce life, just don't say it, right? I mean, we all have opinions, guys. We all have tons of opinions. But at the end of the day, opinions. It's just an opinion, right? We're talking about something that's called God's Word. Something that's solid. Something that this church and most of you, if not all of you, have proven over and over again. His Word works. 
I'm here today because of his work. My granddaughter is here today because of his work. Some of you are here today because of work. You know, some of you are healed because, I mean, this is a work. But it, but it, and, it, and it's not fragile. Some people say, oh, God's word is fragile. No, it's not fragile. But it is really dependent on grace. So the word of God is not fragile. But back to Mark 7, 13. I didn't put it up there. You can look it up. It says, your traditions have made the word of all of that. But it is subject to that. So now religion becomes like this. So you have to be careful that, you know, what is your religious background? What did you learn in your religious upbringing? And begin to identify areas in that upbringing. I'm sure there were some wonderful things that you were taught. But if you were taught under, uh, you know, like a high level of organized religion, there's a lot of religion you learn. And one of the key factors of religion just is, well, how do I identify religion, Pastor? Basically, it puts something on you. To get something God has. Come more to church. Pay more tithes. Pray more. Blah, 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 blah. In other words, law, law, law. Work, work, work. That's, that's any attribute of religion. You know, and then, you know, making judgments about what God does or doesn't do. That's also an attribute of religion. Well, that happened to her because she doesn't go to church. That's religion. Because you, you see, all that I'm saying is you're basing religion on works. And that is the key, key factor that would just stop grace in its path. You know, your traditions. So understanding, I'm, I'm going to try to wrap this up, understanding the flow of grace and its interaction with what you call sin or you call the areas of your life where you are not meeting what you believe is a requirement. And what's weird about that is God doesn't require you to do anything. He said, Pastor, if you preach this, then everybody's going to want to go sin. And no, no, no. Because people that get this are not looking to offend God. Because I'll be clear. Oh, just preach grace. You do whatever, you know, party like a rock star, do whatever you want to. You got grace. Come on. Let me put it this way. One of the things the Bible says that our relationship with God will be when Jesus comes is we're the bride, right? So it's kind of like a marriage relationship. So men. I'll talk to the men. Since most men are married to Hispanic women. You think that would work in your relationship without you being murdered in the middle of the night? <laughs> oh, I, I, I love you, and I make you, but I'm just going to go sleep around with whoever I want to. So don't worry about it. No, you're not going to survive that. Not long. Well, that's the same thing that people try to do with grace. Oh, God loves you, not grace. You know, I'll just do what. No, no yeah, you know, great. You know, when you sin, grace is there for you, unless you're doing it on purpose. If you're doing it with the back side of saying, like, in English, it doesn't sound the same as Spanish. In Spanish is so good. It's, I think you have power. I think I've got one of Uh-uh. No, honey. Grace is precious. And grace is not a thing. It's still him. It's still characteristics of him. Remember I told you last week about the names of God in the Old Testament? We'll bring it into the New Testament. Grace, the blessing, you know, the anointing. It's all him. It's not things. It's him. It's just different expressions of him. So... The same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And I love this one. And it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So stop trying to fix your life. Whatever your problem is. You know, I can tell you stories and stories of my life of just simple things. You know, trying to get on, on being healthier, eating healthier. Little simple things that you're like, well, I'm telling you, I need grace. Because I want to eat everything that's unhealthy. 
I don't mean it as a euphemism. I mean, if you got broccoli and cheesecake, are you serious? Broccoli's of the devil, I'm convinced. No, and you know what? I need grace for that. I actually had this conversation with Lord a few days ago because, you know, the last few days I've been eating horribly, you know, summer and the kids are in the house. It's like, it's like pizza had just became one of the food groups in my house, you know. It's like every time there's like pizza three, four times a week. And if you're not careful about pizza, you know, what, what, what shape are pizzas? <laughs> so I, I, I felt like I was starting to look like a pizza. So I say, Lord, help! I need some grace here. Because you need it for every little detail of your life. Don't, don't throw anything outside. Like, well, I got this. I know, I'm going to get on diet and, and get God involved. Maybe this time you'll make it work. Get God involved in your finances. Eee, don't touch that one, Pastor. That's holy idols for your people. You, you know, that's the key. You know, people struggle with tithing because they don't understand God's financial system. That's the only reason people don't tithe. Because if you understood God's financial system and you understand how grace anoints that, it would never be an issue. We, we read the whole thing in four weeks ago in 2 Corinthians, the grace to give. You're enriched and everything. I mean, when people understand grace, they're so free. God says, I want you to give a thousand dollars. You don't have them. You're like, I got it. And guess what? Those thousand dollars will show up. Because it's not your money anyway. It's grace. But when you make a commitment to live under this, it, 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 is, really, it is really good because a lot of things happen. First of all, you're going to have to learn how to treat people right. You'd have to learn how to talk right to people. Hello? Because everything comes through that spirit of grace. And every aspect of my life. So I look at my life now. What areas does Kelvin Bob still think he's got control of? And I have some, you know. Sometimes I think, oh, this will be a good business. And I start trying to figure it out. And I realize before I went down that path, you know, God probably gave me that idea. Maybe I should keep God involved. Dedicate your business to God. Dedicate your work to God. You'll start getting the promotions. Church, I'm telling you, this is not mad. This is not voodoo. This is just simply living in the grace. Grace teaches us. You have to be open to that teaching. Not what Pastor Bob says, just what grace teaches. You know what grace teaches us? Love one another. You know what grace teaches us? Forgive one another. You know what grace teaches us? Bless one another. Reach out. Be a blessing. That's all that grace teaches. Because once I submit myself to live by grace, then I'm open to the greatest teacher of the world. And, and human, human nature leans into trying to do it on your own. That's just our nature. We're always trying to do it on our own. I'm still trying to do things on my own. And I'm like, Lord, and it's funny, you know, I do things even at work. Come on, somebody raise your hand, you better. Not, maybe like a contractor works different, but you know, I, I'm up there in the morning by myself. Something happens, something breaks, something is not working. And I start getting frustrated, and I start getting hot. And you know, pretty soon I'm, beep, beep. Oh, Jesus, forgive me, right? But, um, and at one point you're like, Lord, help! It was about time you talked to me. I had a, one thing happen. I think I shared this just real quick, quick testimony of how this works. Because the reason I share stories is because the same reason Jesus taught the parables. That's the only reason. Not sure you think. So I was having this job last year, um, shredding, you know, and food plots and all that. And I got there, you know, program my day. Got that there super early. Blah, 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 I got in the tractor, and the thing doesn't start. So here we go. And those of you that understand, would you go, now you're out there by yourself, you don't have, you're not like a call, you know, hey, can you send a mechanic over? 
So here we go, you know, through the process, okay, why is it not clicking? Okay, maybe the battery's dead, it's nothing, you know, nothing, okay. So what I do, take the battery out. So for that, you gotta take parts off the tractor in the front end, put the battery out. Get my truck, take the battery off my truck, put it in the tractor. So that's about, you know, 30 minutes worth of whatever. Get back on, nothing. Okay, so now I go to the fuel pump, and I go through the, you know, tractors have two fuel pumps, by the way, if you don't know that. You know, not all of us, you know, you have your diesel pump, and then you got a little pump that sends fuel to the diesel pump. So I check that. That one works. And I check the other one. And I said, well, this is electric. I got no click. I got no click. By this time, I'm overheated. Come on. Y'all, I feel so under so much conviction. She gets like, oh, Maybe we need a different pastor. And pretty soon, you're frustrated. You're like, ah! Nobody can hear me scream except God. Because if you guys really probably need the church, right? After I threw my fit. No, like, ah, you know, and I'm like, oh, really, I need to get this job done, and I'm so frustrated. And the whole time, I haven't asked God for help. So I finally sit in the tractor. I'm in the cab. It's hot, obviously. The door is open. I've been, I've been two hours into this now, and I'm like, God, help me. <laughs> I feel so embarrassed. I should have said that in the front. And as soon as I said, this is crazy, man. This is that. As soon as I said, God, really, something like that. Oh, so I'm like, and I look down, and there's a little lever that controls a PTO. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's called power transfer, whatever. Not even it's a battery CEO. But what that little lever does is when you engage it, it kicks in the rear end of that tractor, which pulls the mechanics, which runs the shredder, and runs the cedar, and runs the everything in the back. But the thing is, it has a security system. If that thing is not completely off, your tractor is dead. Because it doesn't want you to kill somebody that's messing around in the back. So unless that thing is completely off, that thing won't come off. You would think, I've been doing this for 30 years. <laughs> After two hours, changing batteries, purging pumps, looking at the fuse, checking all the fuses, Checking the wiring, and it came down, God help. And I went like this. And I'm like, oh crap. Pearl. <laughs> yes, Lord, thank you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't check first, right? Grace teaches. But grace doesn't teach unless you talk to the teacher. I'm, I'm, I'm really going to challenge you. This week, be sensitive to challenges. Be, be sensitive to things that get stuck in your life. Be sensitive to work situations that you can't figure out. Just be sensitive, and hopefully you can make a pause and not wait two and a half hours later, all overheated near dehydration, and just say, God, sir, could you help me with this? And then wait on the Lord. You might not be instant, just med you know, get it. I'm gonna, that's my next series. I'm going to kind of give you a heads up. I'm going I'm to teach on how, how do you wait on the Lord? You know, stillness. We talk about stillness when we get done with this series because we need that in our life. Our life is so full of turmoil. The grace is that stillness. It's like the frustration of the world, the frustration of life. But you find that peace in you say, God, I need some help. That's who, by the time you ask, that's how I felt. That I felt like such a joke. Like, I, I felt like the, like the angels were laughing. <laughs> <laughs> No, God loves you. 
But his love and his presence is sensitive in that. It's not weak. Don't, don't, mis, don't misunderstand weak and sensitive. A heart that is full of strife, a heart that is full of turmoil, a life that wants to control their own, everything about them will be limited into this access of grace. That's just the way it works. All right. So we close. The same grace teaches us how to live each day. There is nothing in tomorrow that grace doesn't have the information for. There's nothing in next week that grace doesn't have the, the information for. Amen? Give me the last one. I think there's one more, right? All right. Let's go back to Romans after all that. We're still, we're, now we're back in Romans 6, but I, I just want to introduce that grace teaches so you can read this with that in mind. What are we to do? Now, he's talking about sin. Remember, this is the same chapter that deals with sin. What are we to do? Should we sin to our heart's content since there's no law to condemn us anymore? That's what I've been saying, right? Oh, I got grace. I can just do whatever I want to. God, oh, no, no, no. He's dealing with that. What a terrible thought. Verse 16. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? Grace brings freedom. But then he says, choose carefully.